Hey, welcome back to San Francisco, Patrick. Uh, thank you. Where are you coming from? Uh, I just got back from a um, testosterone-filled weekend in Portland. Guys, 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 bros, bros, dudes, bros, dudes, dudes. 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 Uh, they're more known for keeping it weird, but... Uh, I was there for a bachelor party, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you kept it weird at the bachelor party? Kept it very weird at the bachelor party. Can you go into details? No more details. It's mostly to keep everyone involved safe. Okay. <laughs> Shout out Jarek Sabalos, by the way. <laughs> Shout out. Congratulations also on your upcoming uh, nuptials. <laughs> Mazel tov. Lahayim. <laughs> uh, it's Conversating, episode eight. Today on the pod, we have Marky Enriquez, a.k.a. DJ Proof. He's a uh, DJ here in San Francisco and is the current marketing manager for CamFest. But if you've been here in the city in the past decade, you've probably been to one of his events. He's been involved with Soul Slam and Wonderful. And we go into detail in one of his previous ventures, the legendary Pulling Lounge. Ooh. Everyone's got a Pulling story. <laughs> we also talk about his journey uh, leaving a job in the engineering world to pursue a career in the music industry. I sit down with my boss. He's like, what do you want to do here? I was like, I just want to learn. Um, I just want to try to absorb as much as I can. I want to work hard. I just want to sell records. And then he cut me off right there. He's like, records are dead. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck records. <laughs> <laughs> and it just fucking crushed my yeah. dreams right there. He's like, forget about records, he said. And I'm like, oh. And we also talk about this idea of following your passion and how that may help you decide where you don't want to be. I really enjoyed talking to Marky today. He kind of sums up the episode by talking about this thought of having the ability to create the life you want, but it definitely takes work. Um, there's going to be ups and downs. You're going to have a lot of fears of, you know, filling in that time with work, but, um, you know, it's part of the process. Definitely part of the process. So, uh, Patrick. Yeah. I got three words for you. <laughs> What's up? Keep it weird. <laughs> I like that. Come on, y'all. Don't you understand? freelancing gosh for as long as I can remember really like probably the last 10 years I've been freelancing on and off and then taking on different projects and you know to be honest sometimes it's scary you know so when when you don't have something lined up yeah and yeah. you're like trying to figure like gosh how am I gonna put this together yeah but you know I've been pretty fortunate for the past several years that I've been able to put the pieces together have regular clients and also opportunities that just kind of come about yeah. You know, and, and sometimes you have to be able to, like, identify those opportunities and, like, jump on it and, uh, you know, just go for it. Sometimes, um, even if you're not, you, you don't feel like you're ready. Yeah. You know? But with this current gig with Cam, you've been with them for a minute, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I consider Cam the Center for Asian American Media. Like, they've been kind of a client of mine since probably 2006. And yeah. 
you know, for the audience members who don't know, like the Center for Asian American Media, they're based in San Francisco. They're dedicated to sharing stories of the Asian American experience and yeah, you know, yeah. everything from like working with PBS and, yeah. and then doing their own camp funded documentaries and to the project that I work on with them every year, which is um, CampFest, which is formerly known as San Francisco International Asian American Film Festival, which is pretty much the largest film festival of its kind in the nation. It's definitely fulfilling work. And, yeah. Uh, I, I love doing it. And then it's definitely a, uh, a passion type project, you know, that I take on every year. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's up, man. Yeah. So you listen to Kayla's episode like this podcast. It's pretty informal. It's just yeah. kind of shooting the shit. Yeah. And uh, hopefully from informal conversation. We can uh, <laughs> extract the creative process between everyone. Yeah. <laughs> or lack thereof. Or like, yeah, you <laughs> well, said that yesterday. I was like, shut no, up, man. Everyone, <laughs> oh, no, see, all of our guests have come on saying the same thing. They're yeah. like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. And I don't know this and that. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, already right there, having worked with someone for 10 years, like, there's a story there. Right. There's a story there. For sure. And then, like, I think it's definitely people being humble where they're saying, like, oh, I don't know what I, where I'm going to come from from this. Right. But at the same time, too, it's, I think all of our friends are the kind of people that just put their nose to the grindstone and just, like, mm-hmm. work. Right. You know, and so you don't realize that like 10 years has passed by and you're like, oh shit, I did this. I worked on this. Right. I started that. I'm right. doing this. And then it's like part of what's so great about this podcast is that moment to reflect on that mm-hmm. and then to give your perspective in its truest form now, because you're not thinking back on it immediately after it happened, but you're thinking back on it now thinking like, oh wow, like. I've come this far. Right. This is what I am. This is how I represent myself, et cetera, you know? Right. So what would you say like your, cause you kind of wear a lot of different hats depending on the client, but mm-hmm. how would you sum that up essentially like what you do for those people? Well, I guess I'd consider like myself a marketing professional. Yeah. Uh, although I didn't go to school in marketing. I, right. I actually went to school in engineering, uh-huh. like a good Asian kid. So <laughs> you, you can know, talk about that trying too. to make my, my parents proud. So yeah, like honestly growing up, I wasn't growing up saying, like, I want to be in marketing when I grew up. Yeah, I actually went into engineering and I somehow made it through college, like with an industrial engineering degree. But, you know, my real passions were, you know, I was more of a creative person. I gravitated towards the art school kids, like the architecture kids, um, people at college radio. You know, music was a big part of my life. So while I was going to engineering school, everybody who who I was hanging out with, were more of the creatives. And, you know, that's kind of how I saw myself as well. Where'd you go to school? I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's yeah. like a big time, like, engineering school. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's I don't even the, know how I got in, to be honest. It's the engineering it, school. <laughs> yeah, man. But actually, to be honest, that's where I learned how to DJ. Oh, yeah. That's where, like, I kind of fell in love with music. Really? Out there. Because yeah. yeah. you were doing the college radio, right? I was. Yeah. I was. Yeah. So I started DJing as a kid, probably, like, eighth grade, growing up here in San Francisco or in the Bay Area. And I got influenced by my cousins growing up, going to parties, going to family parties. There was, there was always a DJ. Um, you know, somebody was like break dancing in the garage or something. You know, this is like mid to late 80s. And um, so, you know, that was just something that I grew up with and so naturally gravitated towards, especially, you know, here in the Bay where Filipino-American DJs are just, you know, is kind of the epicenter from where that scene started. So that highly influenced me. You know, going to college... I just wanted to continue that at the same time while trying to survive engineering school and academics (laughs) and stuff. Um, But all I wanted to do was, you know, uh, get down on the turntables or or meet other people who were 
you know, feeling the same thing. So was that kind of like an escape for you doing the radio show was kind of like an escape from the boring stuff of like going to school and I mean, it, you could see it as escape. You could also see it as just, that was probably my real passion coming out. And that's what I really wanted to do. And maybe at the time I didn't think that that was really an option. I was going to school for, um, you know, engineering. So music maybe at the time was just a hobby definitely associated with partying yeah and you know like what do you do in college you know you you, study you you, (laughs) study hit the library hit the books i'm (laughs) out exactly so we were doing a lot of studying (laughs) at that time yeah but um i think i was saying earlier at that time i kind of fell in love with music i met some cat over at boo boo records one of the local record stores in the area. And, you know, I think I was just discovering breaks and things like that. Yeah. And this cat Malik, he was working there at the shop and then he pretty much put me on to, you know, hip hop samples. And that kind of opened the door right there. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted to do was pretty much just find all the samples to my favorite hip hop yeah. joints. And it also kind of led me down, kind of digging a little bit deeper into that music realm. And um, I got so into it that, you know, not only was I playing it, I wanted to get into radio and I wanted to get actually and I signed up to to get into college radio, um, was able to get my own show um, after taking the training or whatever. So I was actually playing every Thursday night on 91.3 KCPR um, and I had my own like funk night. So, yeah, and that's kind of how it got. I, I got started in like, you know, my journey through music. Yeah. That's wild how samples are always the gateway. Yeah, it was definitely a gateway for me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for me too. It was um, once I started learning like the history behind like some of my favorite hip hop records. Mm -hmm. My hip hop was like kind of mid to late 90s. Yeah. So it was a lot of like the Hyro shit, a lot of Ruckus. And so it was sample heavy. And so going back and hearing the original samples, it's like, oh, there's this whole world of music that I don't even know about. Or I know through terrestrial radio that was playing the old school stations, but then when they would flip it, I'll just be like, oh shit, what's that? Yeah, for Uh, sure. (laughs) It's funny because like I got really into, well, I was also really in hip hop too when I was a kid. I remember listening to like 102.9 and then they played Sylvia Stiplin. And I kept waiting for like the verse to drop. Right. Because <laughs> it's like Biggie sampled that, right? right? And so I was like, I was waiting for that song. I was like, wait, this isn't this isn't the song? And then I kept waiting and waiting and waiting for that verse to come in. But then I just kept listening to the song. I'm like, that's kind of a beautiful song, actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it's at the right speed, you know, like, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you discover it and you realize, oh, my God, this is a beautiful piece of music. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's no surprise why Biggie sampled that song yeah. or like yeah. this artist or this producer sampled yeah. that song because it's such a beautiful track. Yeah. Yeah. Puffy, just jacking <laughs> records, <laughs> making the dash, <laughs> jacking for beats, jacking for beats. Um, so, was part of the reason you had that radio show was that just to put other people on to the breaks you were finding? Or like, yeah, was for sure. Else? I mean, um, that was a fun part. It was pretty much me and my friends just geeking out to music. Yeah. If you yeah, kind yeah. of break it down to the like the the bare bones of it, that's kind of like what we all do. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we listen to music, we just geek out to it, yeah. and you want to you know keep on learning. So, yeah, for sure. Um, we were definitely not the types that were like covering the labels or anything. Like yeah, we, we, yeah. Were, we were, we were definitely sharing um, the knowledge, and we were still learning, and and I'm still learning till till this day. So yeah, yeah, it was definitely a fun thing to do with friends, just like geek out to music, and at the same time just like share the knowledge. Yeah, 
So when you moved back to the Bay, did you become part of the scene at that point? Or you said your older cousins were already DJing. Yeah. You know, that, that was back in the day. So I graduated from Cal Poly and had to get the jobby job, you know, and I, and I actually, I, I actually did. I, I got my first job at this semiconductor equipment company down in Silicon Valley. And I was pretty stoked pretty nice money you know at the time but you know once I got that job I was just like all I wanted to do was spin like yeah. I, I was just like okay cool I'm back home got the job where am I going to start spinning at I need to start DJing mm -hmm. you know here in the bay and so actually uh, my first gigs after college were they weren't even in San Francisco they were actually in San Jose you know I used to roll with this crew still kind of a crew soul in the hole that was kind of my first crew here in the bay and you know we were all about funk breaks like house that kind of like up tempo you know funk music uh, disco stuff like that and so we started a party over in santa clara called claren lounge and it was just like this little dive maybe about a couple miles from santa clara u we had some friends that were going to school over there and actually that was uh, tim lim and carol one we were rolling with those guys and I believe they were going to Santa Clara at the time, and they actually introduced us to that venue. Yeah, they had an opening on a Wednesday night, and we had to bring our own equipment, but we didn't care. We just wanted to spin, so, and, and they let us do our thing. So that was kind of our fir my first gig uh, here in the Bay, and that's kind of how I got started. And yeah, I mean, th that kind of introduced me to the scene going to the city, going to parties at Justice League, going to, uh, you know, supporting friends who are doing parties over at um, in the city and, and things like that. So, yeah, that's kind of like my first little taste of uh, the scene back then. So you were doing that full time at the semiconductor co company yeah, and then DJing at night. Yeah, check this out, man. I, that just kind of brings back this memory because my focus was just on music, really. Yeah. So, you know, I get this job. I got my cubicle yeah. and I'm like decorating it. You know? Yeah. And then what am I decorating with? Party flyers. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> dude. And I'm like, I'm in this corporate environment. I'm not thinking anything. I'm a total rookie. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like, my boss rolls through. He's like, you know, just stops by, you know, my desk just to check in. He's like, hey. I was like, hey, what's up, boss? <laughs> 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 you know? And he's like, oh, so what's this? And he, he's pointing at these flyers and stuff. I'm like, oh, um, yeah, this is my DJ night. Like, soul in the hole. Like, that's my night. He's like, yeah. oh. He's like, you're a DJ? I was like, yeah, I'm a DJ. He's like, when do you DJ? He's like, oh, yeah, Wednesday nights. You know, he's like, do you get enough rest? <laughs> <laughs> then in my head, it's like, ah, shit. Yeah. This guy thinks I'm, like, distracted. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I'm a yeah. partier. Yeah. And then I just felt like, oh, fuck. I slipped. Right there. Yeah. And I'm like, damn. So like from then on, <laughs> I just felt like I was watching my back. Like my boss, I think he thought something different to me. And that's the thing about like the corporate environment, you know, mm -hmm. there's probably one or two people that you can vibe with and get close to. Right. And yeah. that you can kind of trust. Yeah. But for the most part, everybody kind of has their face on, yeah. you know, they have the wall, mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. and I think rookie mistake is my first job. I just like you're just showing like two colors, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's yeah, just yeah. how I am normally. Right. I can't front. Right. That was really interesting because I feel like from that time on, my boss kind of looked at me a little bit differently, kind of thought I was a slacker or whatever. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he did. Um, but that was kind of the vibe that I was getting from him. Kind of and then always like referring to it. And yeah. like, oh, how you DJing last night? Were you DJing last night? So, you know, kind of uh, like he's like getting my business now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that's your whole <laughs> reputation in the office now. Like. Well, 
also too, you brought, you brought up an interesting point about having to put on a face when you work at a corporate job yeah. because, you know, we talk a lot about in this podcast, this idea of freelancing being a grind, right? but corporate life is its own grind too, you no know, doubt. cause it's like, I mean, they work just as hard, maybe harder for sure. The people that work there at those kind of companies, they have to draw those lines for themselves and say, all right, this is how much I can actually give a fuck about telling someone about For who sure. I am. Cause yeah. if I start bringing all that shit to my yeah. work, then it's like, it's going to be so hard for me to get anything done. For sure. It is sort of interesting. And I think that we all got to make money. We all got to mm-hmm. work the jobs you got to work, but you're sort of bringing up this idea that, you know, we're meant to be in a certain place, yeah. you know, yeah. cause it's like, you could have just said, all right. Yeah. And then like held it inside of you. I mean, right. who could have known like what kind of potential you would be losing as a yeah. DJ if you just held on to this job and like right. keep your wits about you and always, you know, like make sure you're five minutes early on Thursday mornings, you know, for <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> for sure. I mean, I think, you know, you make a good point and first impressions are really important. Right. So that was an impression that I gave my boss while maybe if he dug a little bit deeper and actually got to know me, um, that he would know that, you know, this is just a passion of mine, but it doesn't mean I'm like slacking off or whatever. Yeah, right. You want people at the company that have other interests besides oh, totally. just the company, just Absolutely. to have a well-rounded person that, that is there. And I think maybe that's why um, it didn't really work out for me in that job. <laughs> you yeah. know, you ideally want to be in a place where you can just be yourself. Right. Totally. right. And yeah. I think that's why. You know, coming back to being a freelancer and working for yourself, I mean, that's the ultimate dream job, to be honest. Right. Um, when you can just wake up, you can be your own boss, and you can be yourself, you know? Yeah. So I, I think there's obviously trade off when you're a freelancer. It's a grind, man. Like, if you wanna make rent this month, yeah. mm-hmm. then you need to be about your business and not slacking off. So you really, I'm sure all of us have learned the hard way, you know, yeah. and that's how you learn how to be a good freelancer yeah. is to survive, man. It's, it's, it's a survival yeah. game, you know. Hang on a sec. Because, Johnny, you kind of had a look earlier about <laughs> going into work after a night of DJing because you did that quite a bit. Though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you were getting started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I started DJing, I definitely had a nine to five job and I never wanted to talk about it at work. I didn't want to be that DJ guy. You were like, smart. <laughs> I mean, I guess, but I was still rolling in like a little like my boss had a lot of patience with me. I'll just say that. <laughs> Shouts to Karen. You know, I didn't want that reputation of like, oh, here's the DJ guy coming in and like, yep. yeah, it was, I was uh, that guy. Oh, it's so loaded, you know? It is, man. Because everyone's perception of a DJ is that whatever, you know? Yeah. They'd be looking at you like, oh, you DJ last night? Yeah. Wicked, yeah. wicked, wicked. Yeah. Oh, and then that it's just like. It's the worst. So needless to say, neither of you guys invited your cubicle mates to your DJ nights. I did not invite them to my DJ nights. At all. Yeah. You know, at least at that first job. It's just. I mean, I'm not trying to stereotype, but I mean, it's, it's, it's an engineers, man. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, ah. <laughs> Shout out all our engineers. Listening yeah, but, right but now. you know, no, no disrespect <laughs> to all the engineers out there. <laughs> At my last office job, I was working on a long-term contract last year and uh, I invited a few of my coworkers and they were all cool. They're all designers and stuff, but they were still working that heavy corporate grind. So I, they came out to one of our DJ nights. They were there. They had a great time. But then it was like 1030. They're like, all right, we got to go. I got it. It was a Thursday night. I'm like, <laughs> it's late. I got to get up early. Yep. Got to commute and shit. So they ain't built for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They ain't built for this shit. <laughs> no, nah, those, those are the homies though. Those are the homies though. <laughs> give, give us some time. 
man. So after that job, I mean, how long were you at that job for? I was there for like two and a half years. Okay. And it, you know, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. It was like my first little taste of corporate life. Yeah. Learning that world. And I'll never, you know, regret taking, you know, that experience. It was, sure. it was awesome. I'll always look fondly um, at it. But I think after that, so I survived a couple layoffs. Like there was a downturn in the tech, like tech bubble was bursting like in the early 2000s. So yeah, like I, I eventually got laid off um, from that job, but that was actually kind of a blessing in disguise. Like right after that, I had some time to kind of think about what I really wanted to do. You know, I think I realized at that moment, like I didn't want to go back into engineering. Right. I just kind of knew that that wasn't really for me. So I took some time off and I decided that I wanted to get into the music industry. Mm-hmm. Like I, I felt like, you know what, fuck it. Like I'm just going to go for it because this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I want to do. This is what makes me happy. And I continued DJing after that gig. By then I was already kind of up in the scene or whatever and doing a lot of promoting. I was, by that time I was rolling with um, Massive Selector, which is actually the promotion group that I run now. But back then, Master Selector, they were a bunch of my friends from Cal, Berkeley. And they started in the early 2000s just as a party promotion group. First big party was just like one of the DJ's girlfriend's birthdays. You know, <laughs> birthdays always like kick off a party, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, like yeah. especially when you're coming out of nowhere. That's yeah. like the best way to start like right. a party. Like, okay, whose birthday is it? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so it was a birthday. And dude, I kid you not. Like, so we were in this um, on 7th and Folsom this bar called Rawhide. It's still there. I still see the sign. There, it used to be a uh, cowboy bar back in the days. Yeah. 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 I've walked by it a bunch yeah. of times. It's right next to the sight glass. Yes. It's yeah. right there. Dang. So that spot is dope. Yeah. That actually, that venue, that's where it all started for me as far as DJing in San Francisco. I, like I was mentioning, I was DJing this party in Santa Clara called Soul in the Hole. And then our homies were DJing massive selector parties over at that rawhide joint every last thursday of the month and then they booked me to play a guest night at their monthly party word at the time so i did my thing i guess i rocked it and ever since then like they were like yo you know you did a great job you know you and the crew should run the side room so from then on like soul and hope was pretty much running the side room at that massive selector party for one or two years I was DJing regularly in San Francisco, meeting a lot of different people. And I think I was promoting a party one night. And then I met this cat at, I think, Milk Bar or something up in Upper Haight. I had been kind of unemployed for about maybe a year and a half. I don't know how long did unemployment last back then. (laughs) A year and a half, two years with the extension. So, um, you you know, so I was just kind of DJing at the time with kind of feelers out for jobs that might have been a good fit. But I, I, I met this dude. We got to chopping it up at a party. Like after talking, I guess we were kind of vibing. And he's like, have you ever thought about getting into uh, music distribution? I'm like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? He's like, like, well, I work for this company and we distribute records and uh, tapes and CDs. <laughs> Back then, I'm showing you my age right here. Um, what, what are those? That's like Spotify, right? Yeah. Right. So he's like, yeah, we, we distribute music to different mom and pop stores around the nation. And, um, you know, after talking, he's like, we're actually hiring. I'm like, for real? I was like, well, I never thought about music distribution, but kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. So we exchanged contact and I emailed him the, the next day. I was like, you know, this sounds kind of right, right up my alley. And I emailed him and sent him my resume. And I got an interview at this local music distributor in South San Francisco. And I got the job. And that was kind of my first 
entryway into the music industry. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the beginning of my journey on that path, trying to make a career in in music. Right. What were you doing when you were there? So I was a a client rep. Okay. And so pretty much it's kind of like account manager. I had a whole list of stores. Dude, like this was like a dream job. Yeah. You know, we had a warehouse next door Mm -hmm. filled with vinyl. You know, it was just Mm -hmm. filled with records and new records were coming in every Monday. So I was a sales rep and I pretty much had like 40, 50 stores that I was repping. So every morning, come to work, hop on my phone and then like go down my list of stores and call like, you know, physically cold call, cold call some. But some of these were like my regular stores and pretty much let them know like what new records we had every week and also sold um, music equipment and slip mats headphones and all that type of stuff so um yeah that was like my um that was that's that's what i was i was i was a sales rep and um i remember distinctly the first time i sat with my boss at that job and i'm kind of coming in bright-eyed really excited like oh my god i just got this job in the music industry i'm kind of feeling myself (laughs) i'm like oh my God, like I want to do so well. I just want to sell hella records and I'm, you know, I want to do a really good job. So I sit down with my boss. He's like, what do you want to do here? I was like, I just want to learn. Um, I just want to try to absorb as much as I can. I want to work hard. I just want to sell records. And then he cut me off right there. He's like, records are dead. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck records. (laughs) (laughs) And just fucking crushed my dreams right there. He's like, Forget about records, he said. And I'm like, oh. So around that time, there's yeah. like right on the onset, like Napster's blowing up or right. like, you know, like vinyl is kind of going down. And this is like mid to early 2000s. And like the industry was changing. Yeah. The industry was changing big time. And they're moving away from physical CD and records into like Serato. It's just cut, digital. like digital. The, yeah. like, the digital world was really like making impact in um, the music industry. So. Pretty much my boss shattered my dreams and I needed to uh, readjust. I still sold records, but I needed to put my attention on some other things as well. Like, how, how early on was that in from you starting, like when you had that conversation with him? It was early. It was like, oh. it was probably the first week I was there. So pretty much like when you were starting, the industry was still was kind of changing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like people were still buying CDs at the time, but records were really on the decline and we we're bringing in a lot of imports from yeah. the UK and that shit's hell expensive to yeah. ship here. So we had to mark up those records you know so we get at least like i don't know i'm gonna just say like 20 percent markup just like these are penny like it's not a lot it's the margins are small and then we sell it to these record stores who are sadly closing all over the nation these mom and pop stores around that time so it was a tough time man because um new business during that time was tough yeah you know Um, because the mom and pops were closing all around us you know so it was it was definitely a challenge you know um but another amazing like learning experience. Like I met so many really good friends at that job. Everybody who worked there were trying to live the dream too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. DJs, yeah. producers. And what was cool about that job is every employee there was involved with music in some way. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know JV Velasco. JV yeah. worked there. He was a sales <laughs> yeah. rep and he's he's actually the equipment buyer. So that's how like me and JV got really close. And a couple are turntableist homies like DJ Streak and um Mike Boo and oh, a bunch of other cats. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Like and then we also had some other cats like 
homies from Ohm Records that were working over there. So we, you know, we we all like had a really good time. Yeah. Um, and while we got paid like crap, sure. Yeah. What made coming into work every day like worth it was just going into work to be able to mess around and just joke around with your friends that were over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, you know, it was a fun place to work. Yeah. Young kind of environment, a lot of joking around and messing around, but it was fun. You know? Yeah. What labels were you guys working with or distributing for? Oh, all kinds. Like yeah. back then, like Broken Beat was kind of a big thing. So Goya was a big um, distributor with yeah. that we were working with. Locally, Ohm Records, they were one of our big labels that we would rep. I mean, there, there was a lot. So it was mostly in the dance electronic world? It was a mix of dance yeah. and independent hip hop. Gotcha. And um, yeah, that, that kind of style. Yeah. Around that time, I was actually working at Tower Records. Okay. Yeah. So those nice. imports that <laughs> yeah. we were selling for like 20 bucks yeah. just for a single. Yeah. And it's hard to sell those. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, de- and I would stock them and I'm just, who's buying this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And those are the ones that got like sit on the shelf because they're so expensive yeah. and then you'd mark them down to move them. And yeah. by the time you mark them down, that sounds hella old. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. especially in the world of dance, it's all about like having the hot new song or like a, a current track. And, yeah. you know, people who are into dance music, especially at that time, I'm sure in anything, like, you know, you have to stay up to date. So when when the song is kind of played out or old, it's hard to sell. It's so, hard to sell. Yeah. There were a lot of those records that were just sitting on the shelf, on the shelf for a yeah. long time. And that was a pretty sad time in the industry because yeah. we felt it too, even though we were a big corporate, I think just because, you know, Tower Records, it's a Sacramento company. So oh, okay. I, I worked know that. at the very first Tower oh. Records. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and it was the same as the distribution company. Everyone there was involved. Everyone was in a band. Everyone was in all aspects from like, you know, live shows. Right. Like everyone had a passion for music and everyone in the company, even though it was corporate, knew their shit. You know, that's dope. we all felt like, OK, this is a special time that's right. going to change very quickly. Tower Records, man. I, I had a lot of memories there, too, as a kid just yeah. growing up. The singles and things yeah. like that. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. had a great record selection. I mean, that's where you would go to buy you know, records. I think I remember buying some of my first records at Tower Records. So. Is this the one in North Beach? Or? Well, the one I went to was in San Mateo. Oh, so we okay. had one in San, on, on El Camino in San Mateo growing up. Yeah. Um, but then when I was in high school, um, I was at SI in the city. And we would go to Stonestown. They would yeah. have the Tower Records in Stonestown. Yeah. That one was fat. Yeah, it was dope. They had everything. That yeah. one was dope. Yeah, all the music in vinyl, yeah. CD, tape, huge movie selection. Yeah, yeah. I love that store. It Toys, was huge. Poister, yeah, yeah. They had the DJ starter packs oh. with the, <laughs> the, with the Gemini's. The, yeah, with the Gemini's <laughs> and the mixer. Right. Justin has the same set, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think everyone has. It. Everyone. Yeah. That's the yeah. that's the Filipino starter pack right yeah. there. <laughs> Right. Yeah. For sure, man. You remember you remember that story. Yeah. Yeah. That place was dope. Yeah, I remember going there after school and that was one of my favorite places to go. Yeah. For mm-hmm. sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, just thinking about like that experience of going to a record store is actually like that's becoming even smaller these yeah. days. Yeah. Where Tower Records you had one in every town back yeah. in the days. Yeah. Now it's like just you don't have a lot of big music stores like that anymore. Yeah. The idea of just having a community around music is pretty foreign now. Like you you can have like digital communities or like, you know, Facebook groups or whatever, but it's a lot different when you're in the same room and you can only play one record at a time, you know, like that to me was the best part about the record store. It was somewhere to go. It was like a clubhouse, you know, it's where everybody knew your name. Yeah. (laughs) If you you were regular, I mean, I remember um, after like one of my favorite things, like when I was working at um, the distributor, 
if there was a local shop that I was servicing, I would offer them free shipping and I would like deliver the shipping uh, or I'd deliver the package to them directly to the store. And then back then, one of my stores that I used to service, I don't know if you guys remember this store, Open Mind Records. Anyways, it was on Deviz and it was one okay. of my favorite record stores. Um, that, that it, It's been closed probably for a good 12 plus years, maybe even 15, but great record store on Divisadero. My man, Jacob from Sweater Funk, he was working at that shop no and um, he was my contact no at the way. store. So I would call him. It's like, hey, what's up, Jacob? You know, here's what we got this week. Da, 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 da. And then, um, you know, sell him some records. And then I just say, hey, I'll just swing by and drop off the package after work. And he's like, yeah, cool. And when I came through, he'd always like hook me up with some credit and stuff. So shout out to Jacob. <laughs> Yo. Yeah, shout out to Jacob for hooking it up. But unfortunately, that store is, uh, has closed since. Well, it's all that credit. Yeah. No. <laughs> but, it's I like, know. I, I, I was, I was yeah, part Jacob, of the, What's his bill? Just like, <laughs> I, I just know what his oh, bill man, is right now. I just now. put Jacob on blast. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll bleep that out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I still go to the old Open Mind location every day. Because you know what it what is? is it? Yeah. It's a pet store. No way. <laughs> and I walk my dogs there. It's their favorite store. Yeah. 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 They can so, feel it. Dude, feel it. for real, man. What's their credit situation like over there? <laughs> man, there's no credit. No credit. <laughs> I spent a lot of money in that shop. Yeah. <laughs> but for other things like dog food. Yeah. And, yeah. You know? Yeah, seriously. How long were you at the distribution place? I was there for a good three and a half, four years. Yeah. Again, amazing experience. Met a lot of great people, learned about the industry mm -hmm. and went through the changes from the transition from, you know, physical music, vinyl records, CDs to the digital uh, world. So it was definitely an interesting time in music, but I definitely learned a lot. By four years at working at that company, I definitely hit a ceiling. I, I actually did get promoted once and I was eventually the sales manager there. And so I managed all the sales reps. And that was a really good experience. And that actually led me to um, the world of the digital music industry. And I started working in digital music and um, distribution. Is this like a, like a CD baby or like a... It was Ingrus. So uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys heard of that. So it was basically a digital music distribution company similar to what a physical distribution company would do we repped labels and then we would distribute all their digital content to platforms like itunes and yeah. you know i think back then it's like rhapsody and i was and, a, i was an in-grooves artist <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, snap. Hey, oh snap. okay okay yeah, yeah. So how, how did you make this transition from the music space to marketing professional? Is it just an accumulation of skills that you've learned through the music industry? Or? Yeah, man. It's crazy. So my career path kind of led me from, you know, starting out engineering, but kind of fighting it, yeah. you know, really focusing, wanting to focus on music to just going for it and just going into the music industry with music distribution and then eventually digital music distribution all amazing experiences for me and for my career. But like around that time, maybe 2006 or something like that, I had still been producing events with Massive Selector. Our production group was starting to kind of like get a little bit bigger. We started working with uh, sponsors like Scion. So our events were getting bigger and, you know, and we were starting to get more notice. So around 2005, 2006, we had this incredible opportunity to run our own nightclub and restaurant. One of our regulars approached us and said, hey, I'm looking to invest in a nightclub and restaurant. And I'm looking to partner up with some folks. You know, I've been going to your guys' parties, love what you guys do. 
um, you guys obviously know your way around a nightclub and can attract uh, a lot of people. I come from the hotel and restaurant industry. I can definitely handle that side. So he was looking for somebody to kind of run the nightclub. And we had the opportunity to to invest in that nightclub. That was kind of my first taste of entrepreneurship and my, running my own business. And not my own. This was definitely a big group endeavor. But, you know, I was one of the early, like the first investors and Master Selector was like heavily involved with the launch of that um, restaurant. And that, that was a polling lounge. Yeah. Um, which was basically a lot of historical value there. Uh, we used to go to the old Storyville. So Polang took over the Storyville space right there on 1751 Fulton Street. And, you know, that spot was known um, back in the days as like a jazz club, live music venue. Uh, but in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, when I was starting to go to the clubs, that was known for basically like the turntablist night on Tuesdays. Oh, right, 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 yeah. right, right. Shortcut and all them. Sorry, I'm, I'm blanking right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's basically, it was like the turntable, uh, you know, night. On like a, a Tuesday, night. yeah, it was like a session night. The the name will come back to me, but yeah. So that we used to go to that venue a lot, and a lot of promoters were throwing parties over there. We, I remember seeing like Brand Nubian perform over there. It was yeah. just like, it was like a hip hop venue. So we had the opportunity to take that spot over, and it's pretty much like a dream come true. You know, um, it took like a group effort. It was our first kind of taste of running our own business, and we're learning on the fly. It was a big time challenge, but. Uh, it was some of like the best times of my life. Were you still at InGrooves at the time or were you fully immersed in nightlife? So I was working at InGrooves still. So yeah. I think, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have done this, you know, having the day job or having the the kind of day gig and then, you know, your night hustle. Yeah. I didn't work at Polang full time. Um, we had a great staff, you know, that were dedicated to working on a day-to-day basis and stuff. So at the time I just decided to keep my job, but then come in and help with booking and then yeah. actually even throwing my own party over there. So that was a spot though, man. When I was in college, <laughs> I knew that was a place you can go to get really good adobo wings, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listen to really good hip hop. Right. Yeah. And then meet a lot of Filipino girls. So yeah, <laughs> most deaf. Most deaf. So that was like, especially when you're coming of age in like the club scene, you yeah. want to find a place where you're just like, welcome, yeah. you know, and like, or at least having a sense of feeling welcome. And I remember when I first turned 21, I'd go to bars, just any kind of bars in the mission or whatever. And it wasn't that I was not welcome there, but it was sort of like, I just didn't belong necessarily. Right. But I remember going to polling lounge and just feeling comfortable. Right. I always had a good time when I was there and I was, yeah, definitely, definitely <laughs> spent a lot of time. Yeah. Definitely had some inside and outside of that. Right. <laughs> Have you been John? Everyone's got a polling story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's shaking his head right now. Yeah. Because no, he's trying uh, to remember. I've performed at polling. Yep. Uh, what DeLorean I, with DeLorean. With DeLorean, yep. yeah. I remember um, that. I've been kicked out of polling. <laughs> 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 I've been, uh, I saw, well, actually, one of my favorite nights there was the Nicolay show. Nicolay had yep. his first San Francisco show yep. at polling. That was a dope night. Yeah. And so Foreign Exchange is kind of like, you know, one of my top tier musical whatever's you know like so mm-hmm. uh being able to see him i think around the time the first album came right. out that was a very special moment for me but yeah everyone's got a polling story yeah. yeah you know um we were really fortunate to be able to run our own venue yeah. and we learned right away the struggles of venues and having to run a venue um and you start realizing why venues opt to turn into like bottle service clubs or mm-hmm. opt to um cater to a certain clientele because man it's tough yeah, yeah. it's it's hella tough and 
running a restaurant already, you're like back is up against the wall. Um, you're destined to fail, you know. Um, but we were really lucky, man. Like not only did we have the ability to program the the music and book talent that we really liked and stood behind. Everybody from, you know, local heavies to out of town globetrotting DJ superstars and stuff like that. The one thing that was a big surprise was that our restaurant took off. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to say that's what really kept us afloat. And I have to give a shout out to Tim Lim and my partners there too, like Desi Dangan and like his vision and my boy Marco, you know, who was managing at the time and everybody, all the staff there. I mean, we, again, like I mentioned, we were learning on the fly and um, Tim crafted a pretty amazing menu that I guess I could say like is the first like new Filipino food that came out to the scene. So now everybody's pretty familiar with Filipino food. We're kind of having our moment right now, which is amazing. But I'd like to say, and I don't want to take credit, but I'd like to say Polang and Tim actually really kicked off that new Filipino food movement, in my opinion. We got a really good review from uh, the Chronicles' um, Michael Bauer. Mm-hmm. And I think we were in our seventh or eighth month. And, you know, we were steadily doing our thing and just kind of feeling things out. And then that Michael Bauer article came out. We got like four stars or something. And that changed everything. Yeah, The restaurant was getting booked solid. And it wasn't just from the Filipino community, but we have nothing but, you know, love and respect for the community for getting behind us to help, you know, launch yeah. a restaurant that would champion Filipino cuisine. But now we were getting different demographics up in there to try the food and repeat customers. People really loving the food. So I don't think we would have survived just as a nightclub alone. I think being able to kick off that, that new Filipino food movement with Polang and um, just kind of building excitement around Filipino food in addition to doing the nightclub thing really is what like kept us around for the next three years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like financial stuff aside though, it was kind of nice that you had a space that was like there for the culture basically. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause it's like you, you're kind of rattling off a few of the people that would DJ there and all yeah. that. I never went there to go see someone specific. I just went there cause I kind of already knew there was going to be something going on and I would more than likely enjoy it. So I think for like the casual fan, whether it's for the music or for the food, it was a great space for them just to be introduced to stuff and not feel like you're just going out and like, you're going to get a random bag of something. It's going to be, it's going to be solid on some level. I mean, I think that we need that more than ever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes it might not make sense on paper, (laughs) Mm-mm. Yeah. You know, um, like I, as I mentioned, you know, we probably would have been better off if we were like a bottle service club. But yeah, I mean, are you going to remember that? Yeah. You know, even though we had our moment in time for three years, you know, I'll still look back at that time like and feel very proud of what we were trying to do um, with the cuisine, trying to have Filipino cuisine crossover from being just like food that we can enjoy with our families or just our community, but to something that you know, could potentially be the next Thai food, could potentially right. be the next Vietnamese food, the next Korean food. So, you know, we're not quite there yet, but I'm, I'm really excited with the way, uh, with what's happening in the Filipino food scene all around the country, you know, so yeah, hope to see more of that. That's the way a lot of things are with, that have an impact on the culture. They don't make a lot of sense on paper. 
Yeah. But, you know, like to say everyone has a story about polling just kind of shows you its relevance in the culture. Yeah, Tim's venue was really the first progressive Filipino yeah. Yeah, venue here. In and the city. accessible. And to accessible. Be honest, to to yeah. be honest. It, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, it, yeah. And accessible. Yeah. You know, it wasn't exotic. Yeah. But it was, and it, and it almost, I don't want to, fusion is so overdone, but I mean, it was it was new. It, right. was, it was a new interpretation of Filipino food right. that we really haven't seen before. You know, it was more than just adobo. It was... You know, adobo glaze on a yeah. chicken wing. <laughs> yes. And it tasted hella good. Hella good. Yeah. <laughs> hella good. I yeah. still crave that from time to yeah. time, actually. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I guess from a marketing standpoint or, you know, just trying to get people involved in whatever you're doing, whether it's nightlife or, you know, a product. Uh, can you speak a little bit about accessibility and being progressive? Because it seems like that would be two counterpoints, right? I feel like the right people that you're trying to attract will come if you present and be true to what you're presenting. You know right. what I'm saying? Like if we're talking about Poleng, for example, we didn't hide the fact that it was Filipino cuisine, you know? Yeah. At first, it would be, again, people probably from our community, our family, our close friends, other Filipinos in the Bay. And then you kind of have to get that cosign. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, that's what it takes sometimes right. for maybe somebody who's like maybe an outsider or somebody who um, may not feel like they're part of you or, yeah. or whatever. And what, whatever that is. Yeah. Same with producing a music event. I think as long as you're staying true to what you're trying to push out there, yeah. then you'll get the right type of people or attract the right type of crowd. There's a balance to be played when you're trying to go to left field. And too accessible, I guess. Yeah. I try to be able to kind of play a little bit of a middle ground when it comes to to that. Right. So it, it's kind of that authenticity that you're marketing, right? Right. What you were talking about earlier when being at the engineering spot, you can't front, you know? Like, is that kind of a value that you've just taken with you on your journey? Or is that... I think I'd say I'm a, I'm a pretty bad liar. Because I, okay. yeah. I, I, I think you can just see through it right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I can't, I mean, it's hard. Like, I, I you can see it already. I'm like... You know, you all got that poker face. That's his marketing genius at work, <laughs> right? Got me, got me, got me. I just got to keep it real. You know, you think there's no lying in Pasoy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're also asking like somebody like me, who um, you know, you guys know what events that I do. Yeah, like I, I can't really add fluff to it. Sure. it kind of like a lot of the work that I do that I stand behind that I decide to put my name on yeah. is already something I'm really going to be really proud of right. and, and or something that I'm really feeling. Mm -hmm. so, so I think that just alone, if you're feeling that project, it's going to come out in the way you present it, whether you're marketing it. And also, yeah, like w with marketing, you have to know your audience. That's like the main thing. You know, I'm not going to be pushing a hip hop show to a group that may not resonate with that, you know? So you kind of have to know your, know your audience, read the room. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how you start when you, you start crafting a story or, or a marketing plan when you try to reach people. But being like accessible and progressive is San Francisco kind of like the best place for that though. I feel like we have the ability and leeway to experiment a little bit and to try some different things. Cause I feel like people want to, they want something different. They want, um, something a little bit left field, you know, even as the city is changing different demographic, things like that, there are still people out there that are looking for something a little bit different. You know, those are kind of the folks that we're trying to target. Right. And, and I feel like that never goes away. Like, yeah. even though the city is going to change tenfold from, you know, what you guys grew up in, like, yeah. there's still going to be that pocket of people that 
look for an out. Right. I mean, <laughs> think about the stuff that we go to or think about yeah. the things that you gravitate towards. Yeah. yeah. It's not necessarily the most mainstream stuff. Right. You're looking for something that's inspiring with a little bit of creativity involved, something that makes you think. And if I'm producing an event or if I have to like think of some kind of marketing campaign or like a, a flyer or something, you know, you want it to be, what, what would attract you? Yeah. You know, you yeah, kind of yeah, think yeah. about that, like what speaks to you. So, um, can you talk a little bit more about your current role with, uh, Cam? I'm currently the marketing manager for uh, the Center for Asian American Media's film festival called CamFest. And uh, so CamFest is the largest Asian and Asian American film festival in the nation. We feature like over a hundred works from Asian American artists, musicians, chefs, and media makers and digital media makers from all around the globe. And uh, it's going down um, here in San Francisco and in Oakland, May 10th through the 24th. And, you know, as marketing manager, uh, I'm pretty much uh, in charge of like, a lot of community outreach, you know, uh -huh. um, aside from running outdoor advertisements, print ads, you know, digital advertising. Um, I'm also in charge of reaching out to our community organizations and ensuring that they're involved with the festival. I work closely with our digital media department to craft like a social media strategy. So once we get our program, we can start finding the different threads, you know, within the program and then start trying to promote, you know, that way with overarching themes and things like that. Things that people can kind of relate to. Right. Yeah. I'm just in charge of like increasing like the presence of the film festival, whether through print or through digital means or outdoor advertising, muni bus shelters and, and um, BART stations. Yeah. You know, just kind of ways, different ways to kind of like increase the visibility for the festival. Through podcasts. <laughs> through podcasts, you know, shout outs yeah. here on the conversation. So you mentioned earlier, hey, you never went to school for marketing and stuff, but clearly you have a better understanding of it now, probably just by following the things you want to do. I always talk about this thought that DJs aren't just guys that play music. They have to promote themselves. Right. They got to, yeah. you know, know how to run their own Instagram. They probably right. have a website that they have to read, like, you know, write emails, all these types of things like client relations, et cetera. And you've just gotten really good at that, that you've translated it to other things. It's kind of crazy just you spelling it out like that. But I mean, essentially, yeah, yeah. you're kind of learning on the job yeah. Yeah. and I didn't even know it, <laughs> you know, right. yeah. like, all these parties that we were producing, making the flyer, mm -hmm. promoting, you know, reaching out to your social networks, going out to the parties, being seen, you know, like kind of like networking and things like that. Like yeah. physically getting some FaceTime with people, like getting your face out there. All of that mm -hmm. is in a sense kind of marketing promotions. I have to give it up to Cam um, because actually they are the ones who gave me my first shot at being a marketing manager or oh, I see. getting into marketing. Like I said, like I didn't go to school in marketing the way I started working with Cam was actually they hired me to be a DJ yeah. for one of their after parties. And the uh, the festival director at the time, I think we were doing this at Polang, like the party was at Polang or whatever. And um, every time we did a party at Polang or whatever, you know, it was always cracking. And, you know, he knew that I was doing events. I think there was a Craigslist post that I saw and that had marketing manager position open at Cam. I think at that time I was kind of transitioning from the music game mm -hmm. and I was already involved with nightclubs that I kind of wanted to learn more, mm -hmm. you know? And mm -hmm. while I didn't have the experience in marketing, I kind of felt like I wanted to learn. Yeah. 
more of that skill yeah. in some way. For whatever the case, that posting spoke to me. You know, yeah, the job yeah, yeah. posting spoke to me. So I reached out to my homeboy, the festival director at CAM at the time, and I inquired about the position. I interviewed it, and I got it. That's what's up. Shout out to Cam for giving me my first, uh, you know, experience, you know, and 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 putting me on pretty much mm-hmm. as a marketing manager, you know, which actually opened up a lot of other marketing roles for me professionally. And so I, I owe them a lot. So I, I always uh, have a special place in my heart for that organization for actually giving me a shot. It's good to kind of like, you know, reflect back on the people that have helped you kind of move your way through your career. But I do think there is a certain interest in that you just followed your passion, you know? And I think that if you do so, if you just follow the things that you're interested in, it's eventually going to lead you down a path of evolution. So you're going to be, have a hard time believing that you would have just promoted parties for the rest of your life or just been worked in the music industry. There's still like tangible skills that you even at that moment just realized, I think I want to, see where this goes. Right. And you maybe didn't see necessarily, oh, I can probably, these are the same skill sets and they're going to allow me to do yada, yada, yada. It's just that you following down this path of following your passion Mm -hmm. just made you think like, what else is possible? Let me try something else. And I think that that's beautiful because just hearing you talk about your first job and like, (laughs) it's cool to see you, how you've navigated everything after that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I wish I could say that I planned every single thing. No, here. no, of course. And, yeah. and, and um, you know, a little bit of luck too. I, I, you sure. know, you, I got to chalk it up for that. But um, I, I've also been fortunate to just surround myself around a lot of really talented, good people in general. People who are, you know, hustle just as hard, but are also um, people that I look up to. And um, I definitely could not have made it this far without the help of the people that you uh, meet along the way. I still remember that one time going to a party, meeting somebody, they give you their card and they give you an opportunity. Those are things that you can't really plan for, but it just happens, you know? And again, I I feel very fortunate with like a lot of the experiences and I'm still learning to this day. I haven't figured it all out by any means, but what I do know at this point now in kind of my career is like that you can kind of craft this life that you want to live by following your heart. It's hard though. It is hard. And there's moments where you do want to give up. I just came off of a long term contract, uh, a two year contract, nine to five desk job just last year. Yeah. And I loved it. It was great. Yeah. I think at that moment I was like itching for a little bit of stability and I had a really good opportunity in a marketing role to do that. So I'm not going to say like, I'm never going to take a job, like a day job again or anything like that. But every experience that I choose to take for myself is with the intention of trying to learn something new, mm-hmm. learn a new skill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm doing marketing right now, but maybe in five years, I will have new skills that I've acquired along the way and, and I'll be doing something totally different. I don't know. That is a really good point, though, because I, I don't think that the point of this podcast is to romanticize this idea of the hardworking, never sleeping freelancer. Right. I think it's just about, um, like you said, like how you summed it up, following your heart. And I think that if down that path you find something that aligns with your sensibilities, I'm sure that desk job aligned better with your sensibilities than your first desk job. Right. It's all about just like understanding those opportunities. Yeah. Knowing yourself enough, working freelancing, you learn that. You learn like, what do you want to do? What you don't want to do? What you're good at? What you're not good at? And that gives you a better sense of who you are so that if you do go into a job like that, you don't lose yourself. Right. You know, you, you just kind of take it for what it is, you know? And, 
uh, you get what you want out of it. Yeah. And I think like the, the last few um, jobs that I have taken on, I don't front anymore. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm yeah. just myself. Yeah. If they're not vibing with me or if they don't feel like I could be part of their company culture, then it's all good. I'm not tripping. Then it wasn't meant to be. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I felt like just, you know, just kind of staying true to who you are. I don't have to tiptoe around the fact that I'm a DJ. I'm proud of being a DJ. Right. Yeah. I love the fact I'm a DJ now, you know, right. I, I mean, I always have, but I shouldn't be ashamed of it. Of course. Sure. Uh, Cause that's so much a part of me. It will always be a part of me. It's probably like longer than any relationship or any job <laughs> that I've ever had is, uh, you know, yeah. my relationship with music and, and a DJ. So that's it, man. It's like when you do decide to work, whether it's a group or a job or like, you know, um, a project, mm-hmm. you know, just try to stay true to who you are just so you really know if you'll be able to work well with that group, yeah. you know, or on that project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's definitely like, I feel like a fundamental thing about doing any of those things. Cause it, when you, when you're working in a freelancing capacity with other people, it's like, there is so much at stake for each individual yeah. and for the project. So I think it's definitely important to like be true. And I've, I've seen projects I've been part of fail because I or another person in the group were not fully, fully understanding of that, right. you know? So it's, uh, it's a balance. Yeah. Uh, and it's definitely learned, you learn from it too. No so yeah. yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. Yeah, man. Wow, that uh, was it. That <laughs> so was we've, show? Been going, we've been going for like an hour. You, we can keep going. Like. We could keep going, yeah. No. I'm just playing. <laughs> no, hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, this, yeah. this was awesome. I yeah. had no idea what to expect, but uh, yeah, That's much props. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Cool.